Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a process that unlocks the full potential of your company by solving the problems that are impacting your growth. I want to thank our sponsors, the Collaborative Community of San Diego Business Organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, and Be Local San Diego. We're all focused on supporting this next generation of leader. Welcome to the show. Could you imagine anything worse than finding yourself in the local jail? Or even worse, heading off to prison? Life was going along. You're being a reasonably good citizen when something happens. No, seriously, officer, I only had one drink. The guy pulled right out in front of me. That's why I hit him. You think he's going to be okay? Or maybe... You're at home when the police show up at your front door commanding you come with them and you're being accused of something and you don't even know what the charge is. Or maybe it's someone close to you, your wife, one of your kids, or maybe your business partner finds themselves sitting in jail. Never in your wildest imagination did you think you would find yourself in this position, but here you are. Now what? Well, today on Conscious Curiosity SD, we have the man with the answers, Mr. David Shapiro, criminal law attorney. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. David has been practicing criminal defense here in San Diego since 2007 and opened his own firm in 2010. David and his firm have received many accolades over the years for leadership, fastest growing, and most recently won the BBB's coveted Torch Award for Ethics. When he's not helping people regain control over their future when charged with a crime, David's greatest joy is the work he does for our community via fundraisers, donations of money and time, and simply helping wherever and whenever there is a need. David, once again, thanks for coming on the show today. I'm very excited to talk about this whole world of criminal defense. I'm always excited to talk about the world of criminal defense. Thanks for having me. And hopefully I never have to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's put that up front. <laughs> but at least I know where, where to go if that opportunity presents itself. That's true. That's true. Well, I always love kicking off the show to let our audience get to know a little about who you are and how did you get to where you are today? So obviously you're leading a very uh, successful law firm. You're doing something I think is pretty interesting. I think most of us think we know all about it because we watch TV. So maybe you can give us some real insights on how this all works. So maybe share a little bit about your background, uh, maybe a couple of defining moments that uh, led to where you are today. Yeah, sure. Started, actually grew up on Staten Island, New York. So the forgotten and arguably justifiably so borough of New York City. Grew up there, went to college in Western New York at the University of Buffalo. And then went to law school. One of the main defining moments was where I decided to go to law school. And that was to go to Tulane University in New Orleans, Louisiana. One of the schools that I applied to, quite admittedly, just to scare my mother, scare my family that I was going to leave the Northeast, fell in love with the school, fell in love with the campus, fell in love with the city, uh, more importantly, of New Orleans. Is that right in New Orleans? It is. And moved down there in uh, 2003, where I lived from 2006. 2005 was another defining moment in my life because 2005 was Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And that eventually got me out here to San Diego and Southern California. Never been to Southern California, never been to San Diego in my life. Saw it as an opportunity. You know, there's a lot of horror, a lot of heartache going on in New Orleans. We had evacuated. A couple of friends of mine said, let's move to San Diego. Came out here, fell in love with San Diego. Finished a semester at the University of San Diego Law School. They were great, very accommodating. Went back to New Orleans, but knew I was going to come back here for good. 
in 2006. You got the, you got the San Diego disease, right? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. It's tough to find a place better than San Diego. Although New Orleans is sort of like number two on my list. I love New Orleans. And, and, and admittedly, New York probably on my list is number three. I'm, I'm convinced I've lived in the three greatest cities probably in the country. I'm really happy where I've been. And I've been here now since 2006. And, you know, the next defining moment would be what happens next, right? You come out here, you got to take the bar exam, you got to pass the bar exam, and you got to start working. And I knew that I wanted to do criminal defense. I knew I wanted to do criminal defense in San Diego. I just didn't know whether it was going to be with the public defender's office or whether it was going to be private. Uh, as fate would have it, uh, when I passed the bar, the public defender's office was not hiring. So I had an opportunity to go private and work for a firm for about two and a half years. And then in 2010, another defining moment, left that firm uh, with gratitude, with appreciation for what that brought me and started my own firm in 2010. But, you know, what I did gloss over is what really happened and probably really what committed me to criminal defense as opposed to criminal law in general. And that was in uh, April 26 of 2004 when I got arrested in New Orleans. You know, spent the better part of uh, 24 hours in custody, not knowing when I was going to get out, if I was going to get out, and what that meant, right? What that meant for someone at 22 years old at the time, what that meant for my ability to stay in school, what that meant for my ability to eventually become a lawyer. And, you know, I think of that day frequently, not so much it was a, this horrific experience for me. It was actually a blessing. And, you know, I'm grateful for that opportunity and, and the motivation that, that is fueled and what it's led to. So that as far as defining moments, April 26, that, 2004. That was a big one, eh? That was it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I had a little moment of uh, indiscretion, you might say, as well, and found myself in jail one time. And it is a very scary thing. I mean, yeah, you might be watching TV and all these kinds of good things, but if you find yourself on that side of the equation, it does get very scary. It, it definitely was. And I always tell people, I said, hey, when I was in jail involuntarily, because now I go to jail voluntarily as part of our work. Yeah, it's a whole different deal. A whole, whole different deal. <laughs> I and get to leave. <laughs> it is a whole different deal. And, and you, you learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot. And I learned a lot about what people go through in that experience, what families go through. And, you know, here I was from a from an upper middle class family with uh, two older brothers who one in law enforcement and one uh, a career prosecutor. So I had the resources, I had the knowledge, I was in law school myself, and, and still the panic, the fear, the uncertainty, uh, you can only multiply that by 10, if not 100, for people that weren't as fortunate uh, than I was at the time. Was your mom or dad in in law or something that both the whole family? No, no, not at all. Uh, started with my oldest brother, uh, became a prosecutor. My other brother was a cop in New York and then was a fireman in New York before retiring. And it just sort of grew up in it. And that's what I was exposed to. And that's what I wound up doing. That's interesting. So I was at the Torch Awards. You received the Torch Awards. You got up and you gave your kind of speech for receiving the award. And it's like, you, you, I don't know, you touched my heart. I think you touched everybody in the room because you kind of like had this moment, yeah. you know? So th this is a very deep-rooted sort of thing that you're trying to do here. So maybe expand upon that a little bit. Like what really touched you? What are you really trying to affect by the work that you do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I was sort of an emotional wreck the entire day. I knew that if we won, I was probably going to have a moment like that. And you did. Um, <laughs> and you I get, did. And you get the rest of us. <laughs> and, and it was, it was, it was building. It was building, you know, before even winners were announced, it was building. I had to step out for a second. And what really got me, I think, was when I was talking about the growing up with role models and different role models throughout my life. As a boy, my father who passed away when I was 10. What I remember of him is him always doing the right thing and always people having good things to say about his character about the type of person he was, the loyal person he was, uh, to friends, to family, to coworkers, uh, to pretty much anyone he came in touch with. And then I thought about my older brother who sort of filled in in that father figure 
my older brother is 19 years older than me and sort of stepped into that father figure role to a 10 year old and then to a 15 year old and then to a 20 year old and guided me through, through high school, through college uh, and beyond. You know, and then I thought about, I thought a lot about people that I've come to meet in my journey, whether it was in New Orleans, whether it was in San Diego, whether it's consultants, advisors, friends that have all sort of that I've leaned on, leaned on through the years and relied on their advice. People have been there who've done that and who've been in places that I want to be both personally and professionally. And it all sort of came full circle, you know, and it really hit me in that moment that what we've been doing is paying off. And I, you know, I don't like to say it's paid off and this is it, right? Because we have so much more we want to do, but it was validation that the work we put in doing things the right way was really starting to get some headway and, and to win an award like the, like the Torch Award for Ethics was, was hopefully just the tip of the iceberg for us. You've been recognized uh, for a lot of things. So you're apparently doing a lot of good things in your business. I certainly hope so. Like I was kind of laughing. It's like, wow. And Sam was in here. I said, maybe uh, he should be interviewing me because, you know, I've watched all the law and order and all these shows. Right. So I think everybody thinks we know how all this works until all of a sudden you find yourself on the wrong side of the equation. Maybe you could share a little bit and kind of help our educate our audience a little bit is like, because usually when these things happen, it's not planned. Like I said, I mean, it's the DUI or some of these kinds of things that happen or maybe worse, you got accused of something. What should we be doing? Because this is going to be a highly stressful moment. Probably what we're going to do is probably the wrong thing most of the time. So if I only had to remember three things, what would those be, David, that I should keep top of mind if I find myself in a situation or a loved one or someone else in my world? Sure, sure. Well, well, here's the thing, right? Well, what we always say at our firm is we try and break the poor impulse decisions, right? Because a lot of times poor impulse decisions get people in trouble. And our hope is, although it's easier said than done, is that once you find yourself in that position, is that the bad decisions sort of stop or at least slow down. So the first thing we tell people to do is, listen, take a breath. You cannot do anything about what has already happened. What has already happened, what you have allegedly done, what you're being accused of, whether rightly, wrongly, or whatever, has happened. And there's nothing you could do about it other than take a deep breath and accept how you're going to have to work your way through it. So number one is breathe. Breathe. It's <laughs> probably a good, good policy, breathe. right? Yeah. The, the, second, the second thing. But I like how you reference that. Like, you know, it's already happened. You can't fix that. So stop, regroup. Let's. And that's, that's a bigger, I mean, that's a bigger picture thing, right? I mean, we can't control things that have already happened. All we can control is our reaction to it and what we learn from it and what we take away from it. You can't beat yourself up any more than you already have about what happened, the decisions that you made. You just need to sort of take a step back, take a breath and say, okay, I'm going to stop, if not slow down, the bad decisions moving forward. And that takes us to the second point, which is make sure you do your research on the law firm you hire. Right? Not everyone is going to be in a position where they can afford to hire a criminal defense law firm. But it is important to do your research and to differentiate hiring an attorney versus hiring the right law firm at the right time. A lot of times people get in trouble and they say, well, I'm going to hire an attorney. Or I'm going to get him an attorney. Well, that's great that you're helping. But you want to make sure that you do more than just get someone an attorney, right? Because otherwise an attorney is a commodity, someone with a bar card and, and a license. You don't know how long they've been doing criminal law. You don't know how many cases they've handled. You don't know how well they are, how well they're versed in the law, how many connections they may have, how much experience they have, and whether it's a solo practitioner or a law firm. So do your research. The impulse and the, the instinct is going to be to hire someone quickly. And a lot of times that may very well be important, but you could still hire someone quickly, but do it thoroughly. 
But what's kind of the criteria? What, what should I be thinking as I try to sort through? Because obviously there's lots of attorneys in the world here. And, of course. Yeah. So course. What's, what's kind of, again, maybe what are the top three things I should be considering? Yeah. I mean, what you're looking at, you're looking at experience, but don't necessarily get overwhelmed by years of experience. You want to look at volume of experience, meaning that, you know, a lot of attorneys out there will talk about, oh, well, we have a combined 700 years of experience or, you know, I've been an attorney for 60 years. It's like, okay, well, how many years have you been a criminal attorney? How many years have you been a criminal defense attorney in San Diego? And how many cases roughly have you handled, right? Because you could be, you know, mediocre for 50 years and you're better off with someone who's fantastic at 10 years or 15 years in. Or you could be an attorney for 50 years but not be very good or not be very successful or not having represented many clients. And by instinct, oh, this, this, this man or this woman or they have 50 years of experience without really going a layer deeper than that to figure out what type of experience it is. So you want someone who's experienced, but don't get caught up necessarily in the years of experience. Right. So real, real experience. Correct. I'm actually in the game this many times. Correct. Is, is there a way of knowing how well an attorney's performed over, oh, I got this great track record. I've been out here for 50 years. Did a lot of cases. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm, I'm 0 and 50. I mean, how do I know how well an attorney's performed in the past? Is sure. there a way to know that? Yeah, there's really, there's really two main ways, right? Well, actually three. One is you could ask them. Right. I mean, but you know, who's going to tell you, can we trust it? Right. I'm not very good. Right. Or I'm, you know, I'm terrible. Right. No one's going to say that whether they are good or not, but in reality you want to ask and you want to ask them, especially if it's not addressed on their website, if it's not addressed in, in where you found them, because usually there's a reason if someone's not talking about the experience they have, maybe they're just not, maybe they're a great lawyer. Maybe they're a great employment lawyer. Maybe they're a great personal injury lawyer, but they're not really a criminal lawyer. Right? Mm-hmm. So you want to be making sure that you, you press them on that and you press that firm on that. And if, if their experience is not front and center on their website or on informational resources out there, there might be a reason why. They might not want to talk about it. So, so you know, it's kind of interesting to say that because, like I said, I had, I had my moment. And it was quite a while ago, so I think I found my guys on the yellow book or yellow pages, right? <laughs> but when I met with them, they were like, you know, they had this great track record and all their advertisement stuff, whatever. And it was like, oh, Jeff, you've been so unjustly <laughs> this, right? I mean, I, I was like, without a doubt, this is all going to get thrown out because da, 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 da. And when it came time for the game, all of a sudden, I wasn't even sure they're on my team. <laughs> it was like, okay. We're like, it was a complete different experience between what I was being sold and what really transpired. So um, this is important. Number two. Yeah, <laughs> number, de- number two is very important. It's it's definitely it's definitely important to be to be mindful of that because you want to make sure what you're being told matches up to the credentials, matches up to the experience. So you want to look also as far as experience goes. You want to look under peer reviewed awards and recognition, not the awards that you know the top seventy two people under thirty seven years old, and it's the top seventy two people who are the first seventy two people who write a check. You want to look at peer endorsed awards. You want to look at, you know, things that are actually earned, not bought. Who's, who's giving this award? Who's giving this recognition? Who's giving this accolade? A lot of people up there, their website looks really fancy. They have all these beautiful little insignias and icons, but a lot of people never heard of these organizations or they're not really, they don't really have the depth of the history that some of the big organizations will have. So you want to make sure when you go back into the level of experience, it's peer-reviewed thing. Another thing you really want to look at is, are you hiring a firm or are you hiring a solo practitioner? A lot of law firms, especially a lot of criminal defense law firms in San Diego, are solo practitioners or very small law firms. And I've been there. When I started in 2010, it was myself. It was a part-time assistant. Things really didn't start picking up or really had a, a firm 
until 2018 when we started adding a second attorney, 2020, a third attorney. And the reason why that's important is not because, you know, there's more people on a website and, and you know, people that you never know, right? Well, I hired this big firm. I only deal with one person. No, because you want to make sure that the attorney you hire has the resources around him or her, has more experience, right? Has the opportunity to roundtable ideas and isn't sort of on an island with your case. And you also want to make sure that if your attorney is actually in court a lot and they're doing a lot of work, that if you have questions, there's people there that could help you. You know, not, oh, sorry, I've been in trial for two weeks. I haven't gotten back to you. So you want to make sure you have a firm to assess and, and obviously take care of you when your attorney's in court, when your attorney's occupied on other matters. And that, that makes some sense. So just in that perspective, you have a firm, but it's a, a small firm. Of course, you got the big guys, which probably charge huge, huge amounts of dollars and cents. I mean, what, what's your thoughts about size? Obviously, you're a little guy, so you well, hey. but I mean- how, how big should I be if I'm really looking for a kind of a sweet spot of what this is going to cost me versus really having all the bandwidth that you were describing? I mean, what, what should I be looking for there? Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about it is right now uh, we have five attorneys and we're the second largest, I believe, exclusive criminal defense law firm in the county. Whereas there's, you know, personal injury and, and or employment law and, and a lot of other consumer law firms are gigantic in size. In the criminal defense world, the firm of five attorneys is as large as it gets, if not, you know, one of the largest, if not the largest around. But, you know, again, don't get caught up by numbers of attorneys because, again, you also want to look at how deep that law firm is. So, I mean, right now, if I really wanted to, we could probably have 10 attorneys on the firm and we could grow it at a very, even a more exponentially higher level than what we've been doing, but we wouldn't have the depth from top to bottom. Got it. Where, you know, I could say, yeah, there are some firms out there that may have one or two attorneys that have been doing this longer than, than I've been born. And I'm 41 years old. Depth, as far as more than two really good attorneys, I don't think any firm has it the way that we do. So you want to look, not just, oh, well, they have seven attorneys. Well, how many do criminal defense? How many do criminal defense right. at a high level? How many can I trust? And how many are interchangeable to represent me at just as high, if not a higher level, than anyone else within that firm and anyone else in the legal community? So that's an interesting comment too. That's one of the things that happened in my particular case where the main principal who I met with and sold me and he's amazing and got this whole history and I know everybody and blah, 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 blah. He wasn't there the day I went to court. <laughs> Back to like, wait a minute, <laughs> what, what happened here? And someone I didn't even know. And that's, that's, an, that's an important thing that you brought up there too, right? Because you want to be able to, you know, one of the things I've been harping on earlier was talking about do your research. So you want to know, right, it's great to know who's the head. It's great to know who's on the letterhead, whose name is on the door. But if they're not representing you, you want to know who else is at the firm. A lot of firms will put, you know, oh, David Shapiro, David Shapiro this, David Shapiro that. But then you have no idea who's who these other four attorneys are. And that's something that we really pride ourselves in. And one is making sure we get the right people there that have the credentials and the legal prowess and the legal experience as high of a level as what I've done, if not higher on any given case but also that we have them at the forefront, that someone, a consumer looking at our firm could learn about this team far beyond anything that I've done, far any, beyond anything that I've accomplished, can look and learn about the different attorneys on a team. So if they have a situation where I may not be the best attorney suited for their case, it's not, oh, he, you know, they handed me off to somebody. It's like, no, I knew about this person from the get-go. They're all over the website. We're not hiding anything. And that's a really important factor. And that's a really important differentiator, I think, with, with my firm than, than so many others and so many other businesses 
to we never want to have a situation where someone's like, oh, you know, so-and-so showed up. I had no idea who they were. That's just not going to happen with us. So I love what you're saying. I mean, you're really sitting here saying, I'm, I'm building a team, a competent team, and everyone's going to bring some strengths and weaknesses or whatever. So understanding my team versus I'm the star and I got some people to do some stuff for me when I'm, when I'm not available. So that's a completely different concept. It, it, definitely, it definitely is. And I, I tell you, it's, it's what has enabled and fueled the growth of the firm. Because, you know, understanding what I'm capable of as an individual and understanding that, yeah, I, I could run a firm and it could be me, 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 and a couple of assistants. But the reality is we're not going to be able to touch and we're not going to be able to affect as many lives as we can if we have four, if we have five, if we have six attorneys down the road. Taking the firm where we need to, the team as a whole can affect so many more lives than I could as an individual. Uh, so it was a no-brainer. So I like the idea that we're starting to talk about affecting lives, right? Kind of back to your tagline, right? Helping people that are in this highly stressful situation regain control of their life. So again, kind of a different mindset of, oh, I'm just doing a transaction here with somebody to know. I'm trying to do something different in the, in the community and society as a whole. Without question. And that's, you know, we help good people regain control of their future when charged with a crime. And it's more than just a, you know, a trademarked slogan, legitimately trademark slogan if you're listening out there. Uh, so don't try it. Don't steal it. <laughs> don't steal it. I am an attorney. I'm going to come get you. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, that, that type of law, I wouldn't even know where to begin, but I'd find someone. I got some friends, right? I'd do my research and I'd make sure, you know, follow my own advice. And <laughs> One, get two, three. Trained. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to stop. I'm going to breathe and <laughs> go exactly. find myself a good attorney. But, you know, to your point, right? It's not just a, it's not just a transaction. It's not just, okay, this is going to be this fee. Great. You know, from the first call, to the end of the case and even beyond, we're thinking about how this case is going to affect an individual client, an individual person, an individual human being, far beyond just what they're charged with and where their court date is. And that's a, you know, a differentiator. And I think it's more of a product of other firms not really digging that deep into the people they're representing, especially criminal defense firms, than anything fantastic we're doing. It's just the way we handle the business. So when you know, when we're dealing with a potential client, we're interviewing them the same way they're interviewing us, right? Is this going to be a good fit? But at least 50, if not 60, 70% of the time of the call, we're not getting into all of the legalese and this is what's going to happen because quite frankly, we may know, right? We've done this long enough and handled enough cases in San Diego County to know generally how a case is going to wind up. But we don't have the police reports in front of us. We don't have all these you things. You might not be getting the whole story, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, that right. That, that's one point. And plus, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to be in a position where we're over-promising, not really knowing exactly how it's going to go. So we spend a lot of our times to get to know our potential client. Because, again, what may be a good deal on paper for you may be a terrible deal on paper for me. Not because, oh, great, we're on probation. We avoided jail and we were as guilty as the day is long. Well, I may have immigration concerns. I may have professional licensing concerns. I may have child custody concerns. And that's what I think really differentiates us from so many other criminal defense firms is we dig into those things, not when it comes time to, to go to trial or to take a plea. We go into those things before they even become our clients to understand what makes them tick, to understand what matters most to them, because otherwise we're doing them a disservice because we're treating them the same way the cops might or likely already have the same way a district attorney might or likely already has, and even worse, the way a judge or a jury may eventually treat them as a name, an allegation, and a case number, not a human being. So maybe you have a story, right? Nothing sticks better than a story. And I don't know, I'm not sure what the best story to tell. Maybe a story where 
maybe a client has gone down the wrong path here and things aren't working out and they're saying, wait a minute, I need to find someone new or how do we get in trouble when we do the wrong things? Not the legal part, but actually in the selection process. So I, I don't know. What, what's the right story to tell that would help sort of get people to go, oh, I get it now, right? I get the connections of what you're saying here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the the general story is is understanding that when you have a law firm or an attorney that you like and you feel it's a good fit, a lot of times people will will not take the step necessary because, okay, well, it's more money than what I think I have right now. And to view it, though, especially when we're dealing with criminal defense, right? It's a different story if it's like, okay, I need a will, right? So I want good client experience. I want someone that's going to trust and understand my net worth, my family's hopes, my family's dreams if, if the worst were to happen. But in criminal defense, you're talking about your freedom. You're talking about your, your job earning capability. You're talking about your reputation. You're talking about how your kids may look at you one day. You're talking about how your wife may look at you or your husband may look at you one day. It's not the time to try and save $1,500 because someone down the road is going to do it for a little less than who you really want. And the advice would be, and this is probably even goes beyond criminal defense, is look at every interaction, every type of uh, financial transaction as an investment in your future. So yeah, you know, we may charge X number of dollars more than 85% of the other criminal defense firms out there. But think about if the way the case resolves protects you and protects your job, you're going to be laughing at the amount of money that you were not going to spend because, hey, this may save you 30 grand a year in earnings potential, and you're not going to make a move over 1500 bucks, right? So you uh, want it. You I, never, want I, really, really, I didn't really think about this from that perspective, right? Because you see a price. Of course. And, and people, people call all the time and they say, hey, I'm calling. I want to get a price for a, you know, for a DUI with injury. And a lot of firms, I mean, it, it's terrible to say. A lot of firms say, okay, DUI with injury, uh, that's going to be $10,000. They didn't even get the person's name. They didn't even get to know what type of injury. They didn't right. even get so to know clearly what, what's this based on, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. ba- it's based on a chart and it's based on, hey, we're going to treat you the same way that everybody is going to treat you. Why would you pay money for that? And the other thing, in addition to really looking at not making sure, you know, what's that saying? Penny wise, pound foolish, right? right? You also want to make sure that if the law firm you hire is quoting you a fee of, let's say, $10,000, and then by the end of your conversation, the fee has somehow magically gone down to about $6,500. So it's like, it's like outlet pricing all of a sudden. Well, that may make you feel really good as the consumer. Wow, I, I saved 30, they took $3,500 off the price. But think about this and think about this when you're in the meeting, not when you're in the car or not when you're on your way home after the meeting and engaging in that law firm, you just out-negotiated the attorney or the law firm that's supposed to be negotiating your future, your freedom, and your reputation. So what do you think a prosecutor is going to do to them? What do you think a judge is going to do to them? What do you think a jury may do to you as the individual? Again, awesome feeling. You save some money, but in all likelihood, you're going to regret that decision down the road. Right. That all makes a lot of sense. I mean, the other thing, you're sitting here just talking, and somehow in my head I keep thinking, it's like trying to pick a surgeon, right? I mean, the consequences are huge, right? So you want to go at the best you can. But I also love this, the, the how you were sharing the idea, like there's a, such a bigger picture. So if you really think of the financial model, it isn't just that number you're looking at, but what's all the implications of that? So that that's huge. Kind of given uh, our audience, uh, business leaders is kind of our target market. That's who we're talking to. 
I guess I have two questions. One is maybe just as you, where you sit here today, I mean, what, what's the typical things that I might, I need to be paying attention to? Like, this is where people like me get in trouble kind of idea. And the second thing is if it's flipped the other way and I'm running a business and let's say I have a key employee that all of a sudden has found themselves in trouble, me as the business owner, you know, what, how should I be thinking about this? What should I do and not do? So I, I give me a compound question here, David. Sure. <laughs> you know, you're used to this kind of stuff, right? I mean, I don't know, but this someone like, oh, wait, <laughs> I object. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. The, fir- the, fir- the first thing you do is this, and this is whether you're an employee, an employer, anyone on the street is you have a constitutional right to remain silent. Okay. You don't have any obligation nor should you be volunteering to do the police's job for them, nor should you be volunteering to do the prosecutor's job for them. So an example and a story that I give all the time as an extreme example, and sometimes people are like, well, that's a little bit extreme, right? That would never happen. But it's to, it's to drive home the point of don't do the job for them. So my office is, is in Bankers Hill, right? So my office is in Bankers Hill. I was at my office today. The day, the day we're having this discussion from 7.40 in the morning until about 10.15 when I came over here for this, for this interview. When I leave here today, if I get pulled over and the cops want to talk to me about a murder that happened in Golden Hill at 10 a.m., I'm not saying a single thing. I'm not saying I was at my office until 10 o'clock. I'm certainly not going to lie. I'm certainly not going to be deceitful. But I'm also not going to tell them where I was at because I'm under no obligation to do so. I have a constitutional right to remain silent. Even though I didn't do anything wrong, I certainly didn't kill anybody or have anything to do with it. But why would I confirm that I was on Bankers Hill at 10 a.m.? Because the cops may not be honest with me. They don't have to be. What if the murder happened on, in front of my office? What have I done? I just put myself at the scene of a crime. I didn't do anything wrong in the sense that I didn't kill anybody. I didn't know what was going on, but now I moved the needle further to becoming a suspect, Mm. right? And then I have to backtrack from that, or my attorney has to backtrack from that. So give your attorney, give your, you know, the law firm you hire as much of a clean slate as possible. Keep as many avenues of defense open as possible. And the way to do that is resist the urge to try and talk your way out of it, whether you're guilty or not guilty or actually I I know I didn't do this, right? So (laughs) that'll play out over time. But the key is to, you know, don't make it more difficult on you and, and on your attorney than you need to. Be quiet. Be polite. Don't be rude. Don't be deceitful. And just protect your interests. So to that point, I have to share that uh, lately I've gotten caught up watching these um, interrogations on YouTube, right, where they arrest somebody and they put them in the room for a couple hours and they, you know, they, they, they do their thing and they finally bust. And I'm always sitting there yelling at the TV, you should get an attorney, right? Stop talking. But I, you can see what happens, right? I mean, even these guilty folks are trying to talk their way out of this thing. But if, you, if you're sitting there innocent, I can see where that, maybe that's going to be your urge, right? It's like, well, why are you even talking to me? What's I mean, it's, it's an urge, you know, I, I got pulled over a couple of years ago for a seatbelt ticket and I tried it. My, at first I'm like, oh, what am I going to say? I'm like, David, <laughs> really? Just be quiet. You'll deal with it. Stop, breathe. <laughs> but, but to your point about these interrogations, right? Imagine, imagine what we do as, as criminal defense attorneys re- reviewing this. And, you know, it's a two hour interrogation for the first hour and change. We're like, okay, we could work with this. We could work with this. We could work with this. And then all of a sudden, then, boom. Like, right. There's that moment when you throw the pen right across the room because it's like you've just undone any defense that we that we might have had. Right. But to the second part of your question about what can a business owner do yeah. 
if they get that call, whether it's in the middle of the night or they get the call from the spouse or the partner of the employee, hey, so-and-so can't make it to work. The first thing is don't judge. Don't assume, first of all, that they've done anything wrong, right? And don't judge them on their character, especially if you know them well enough to know the true self, right? Because it's very easy and it's very easy sometimes for us as criminal defense attorneys in my field to assume someone had to have done something, right? Well, they wouldn't have gotten in trouble if they didn't do anything. And it's like, wait a minute, how does that make me feel when I'm questioning a potential juror on a case and they say that? I think that's ridiculous. Try not to judge. And the second thing is don't necessarily try and get answers about what did or didn't happen. And definitely don't try and induce a statement from your employee if they call you from jail because that call is likely recorded. Mm. So the last thing you want to do, because then you're making yourself a witness and you're potentially sinking the defense of, of your employee Hey, what happened? How'd you get into it? What, what, how'd this happen? And the next thing you know, you're being subpoenaed by the district attorney to testify about that conversation you had. The third thing is, is to instill what we're talking about as far as things that they should be considering during this time, because you as the boss or you as the employer in the middle of it, but a little more removed from, from the, from the emotional side of it that, yeah, of that course, your employee yeah. may be going through. So maybe you're the one that could weed out some good lawyers there or some good law firms or say, wait a minute, you're, you're considering hiring this person. Hey, I've asked around and I've heard this firm is really good. You know, and when you start asking around and you hear the same firm coming back to you from three different people who don't know each other, that's a really good sign, right? Because you're getting personal referrals, you're getting word of mouth and you're hearing good things from different avenues. That's where you, Hey, you know, I don't know if you have a lawyer yet or not, right? Whether you're going to pay for it as the employer or not, that's up to you. Depends on the depth of your pocketbook and, and what type of arrangement you have. But maybe to do some research independent, just say, hey, I found these two names or so-and-so knows this firm, really good idea. And, you know, we're here to help, uh, whatever that may look like. Uh, that's some great advice. Don't 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 jump in and try and be the, uh, you know, the juror. <laughs> just be, be supportive. But like you said, I mean, we we're just talking about how difficult it is to kind of sort through these things and emotional and time and money and all this and be able to be that kind of steady hand. And obviously if they've reached out to you, there's some reasons, right? That uh, you're seen in, in a certain role. So good stuff. Let's talk about the business a little bit. Sure. So you guys uh, won the torch award. We talked about a little bit earlier, how important that was to you. So maybe expand upon that a little bit more, like um, as a business leader, what are you really trying to create over there? What, what would you say the higher purpose of your organization is besides obviously trying to help people that are in a, a difficult situation, as far as the, what you're doing, what you do in the community, what you do for your clients. I mean, what's, what's the bigger picture? Sure. I mean, I, I, I know that beyond anything we do in a courtroom, and beyond anything we do for our, our clients is our mission and our real vision is to be a resource for San Diego beyond criminal defense. Not necessarily that we're going into any other area of law. We're not. No intentions of that. We have no intentions of, of branching outside of San Diego or going into area, any other area of law but criminal defense. I love defense. that. We're here in San Diego. Dave. In San Diego. <laughs> That's what this podcast is all about. It's about San Diego. Exactly. Go Padres, by the way. Are <laughs> <laughs> you talking to a disgruntled Mets fan here? So <laughs> I'll let you say that, not me. I'll buy lunch. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, what's, what's really important is, is to really have an impact. And I, I touched upon this, I think, in the recorded portion of the interview for the BBB Ethics Awards is to be seen as a community leader. And no matter how good of a lawyer you are, or no matter how good of a team of lawyers and staff you've assembled, you know, outside the criminal defense world, you might not be known. You might not be revered. You might not be respected. You might not have as great of a value as you think. And admittedly, 
you know, I am not 10 times the lawyer I was two, three, four, five years ago, but I know that we have as a firm individually and collectively 10 times the reach that we had three, four or five years ago. And that's for the community work we do. And I think that the best businesses and arguably the most successful businesses are the ones that, that branch out beyond their individual field and entrench themselves in the community because they get to know, first and foremost, they get to know their customers selfishly, right? Hey, I know this community. I know what this community needs. I know what this community expects. But also you're able to use an opportunity, use the privilege that we have for a greater good. And that's really to touch lives. And, and with us doing criminal defense, for the longest time, my focus individually was on organizations that help people when they got out. Meaning they, they've, they've done something, they've committed a crime, or they've been convicted of committing a crime. They want to better their lives when they get out. So we've invested a lot of research, a lot of research and a lot of time and a lot of money into these organizations to help them with their mission. But we've really shifted the last couple of years and even started on the front end, working with at-risk teens, working uh, with okay. working with foundations that, that give kids Shut an the outlet. faucet off, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. to sort of break that pipeline and to understand that a lot of the skills that, that a 14 or a 15-year-old will have, that they think they may be boxed in for a certain career or a life of crime, that those are transferable skills, that those are skills that will be valuable to a, to a legit business, that those are CEO-type skills. Those are marketing type skills. Those are hustler type skills. And that that can transition to a legitimate job, can transition to a legitimate education. And, you know, what, what's amazing is some people sometimes like, why are you doing that? Isn't that sort of, aren't you sort of hurting your business? And I, I sort of stop and, you know, the instinct is to laugh, but they, they just don't get it, right? They don't get the mission when, when they think that because unfortunately, there are so many people who are going to make poor impulse decisions, no matter what we do, no matter what my firm that. does. <laughs> you know, if we, if we could affect three or four or five people a year to steer them a different route, that's that's a beautiful yeah, thing. That's awesome. That's awesome. A quick question from where you're sitting in the world here. I mean, I'm, I'm reading the paper now, you know, crimes up here everywhere. Uh, we got the challenges with the police and who wants to be a cop anymore, given the scenarios there. What, 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 are, you, what are you seeing and, you know, where, where do we need to go? You know, what's your thought? You know, here in San Diego, you know, if you could have a magic wand, you know, what, what, what would you do, David? Well, I do a couple of things, but as far as, uh, as far as dealing with, you know, the criminal justice system here in San Diego, I think that, you know, it's come a long way in the you know 16 years that, that I've been here for it. Uh, seen a lot, seen a lot of change, seen mostly positive change affected. Uh, and I, but there's definitely a long way to go. You know, it's like, well, there's been some change. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the greatest criminal justice system in the world, but that doesn't mean it's not, that doesn't mean it's perfect. That doesn't mean we can't criticize it. That doesn't mean we don't have a duty to criticize it, especially doing what we do. And it doesn't mean I'm any less patriotic than anybody else. It doesn't mean that I don't love this country, don't love this county, don't love our justice system. It just means that we have a duty sometimes to, you know, hold people to their burdens and to be better in everything we do and to live a life of increase, to get better and better. As far as, I mean, the criminal justice system itself I think that a lot gets lost in this political world we're in now far more than ever because when you play into a description. So if you're too far right, you're labeled this. If you're too far left, you're labeled this. And I, the change I think that really needs to happen in a criminal justice system I think needs to happen from the, from the center and to the center left in the sense that you know there are a lot of ideas that are labeled extreme, that are labeled radical, and there's some merit in a lot of that. But I think you lose the people who could really effectuate the change, which is the center, 
or the center left when you're talking about criminal justice reform because it goes too extreme for a lot of people. So, you know, I've never been one of, you know, take your time, do baby steps, but I, I really have seen that be the most effective way as opposed to looking to, you know, it's maybe a bad example, but, you know, sort of burn the city down and rebuild it. Right, right. You know, you do it block. Oh, defund the police. Let's just take all the money. You do it block by block and you'll right. have the most support. Right. Well, believe it or not, man, we're, uh, time's kind of coming to an end here. David, it's been awesome. What's your big thought? Like one big takeaway uh, for, for our audience that you would like them to, you know, if they don't remember the top three things they should do, at least remember this one thing. What's, what's your thought? And it could be anything about how you run your business, anything that's your call. I I think it's, I think it's something I touched upon when, when I accepted the award, the torch award. And I talked about advice that was given to me really two pieces of advice by when I was thinking of people who've impacted me as a man and as a business owner and as a parent, as a husband, as whatever in in my adult life, two pieces of advice. Gentleman once told me one time, a good friend of mine said, build a reputation over the course of a lifetime. And all it takes is one thing to screw it up. So don't screw it up, you know, and always be mindful of that. And sort of, uh, you know, another variation of that more recently with an individual that has become a very good friend of mine and I look up to very much said, the uniform is always on in the sense that, you know, our ability and the power that we have as business owners and especially as successful business owners with a team that really effectuate some change in the community is that we always need to be mindful of the impact that we have and the reach that we have. And that's whether, you know, uniform is, you know, a suit and a shirt with slacks or a tie in court, you know, or whether it's a, whether it's a Saturday morning workout and I'm, you know, downtown in, in sweatpants and, and a hoodie, right? We still have an impact. We still can always effectuate change and we always need to be at our best and we always need to be striving to be better. And I see that a lot of times business owners just completely destroy their reputation, completely destroy their legacy. And completely destroy their their company's earning potential, and the, and the success and the livelihood of all their employees, not realizing the impact of what they say and what they do, and how that affects people far more beyond them. So I think we all need to be mindful of that, myself included, at times. And I think that'll make our businesses better. I think that'll make our responsibility stronger. And I think we'll adhere to that principle that the uniform is always on. Oh, I love that, David. Well. We could go on for a while. This is pretty fun. <laughs> but unfortunately, we got to move forward. So I want to thank you for taking the time to come to the show today and share your amazing experiences, insights, and wisdom. And I also want to thank you for all the amazing work you're doing here because you are wearing the uniform. You are making things happen. And this isn't just about transactions, but doing, doing the job right. So that's our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe and comment. And most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our community of business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism San Diego, and Be Local San Diego, who are all collaborating and using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Geobreak Leadership saying, in the meantime, go do what you do best, where we're all counting on you.